Oh, good morning, everybody. Putting a different hat on this morning. The Roberts are out of town this weekend, so, uh, but I enjoy being able to lead worship every now and then. But let's jump into God's Word right now together. We're in the Psalms. If you're visiting us, we're in a series called Summer in the Psalms. Um, and uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 36, or you can follow along on the screen as we read it in a few moments. Uh, several years ago, I attended a conference called Together for the Gospel. And um, one of the things about conferences, I mean, they're wonderful places for learning and fellowship and all that, but they're also outstanding times for eating. And so one, one after the uh, morning conference, a bunch of us went out for lunch and we went to this sports place and I ordered a burger called The Trainer. And uh, I'm telling you, this burger, I, I am a good eater. And I, am, I consider myself not a lightweight when it comes to eating food. This burger was big and it was dense. I mean, it was dense. They like packed in, I think, a, a quarter of a cow into this burger. And then they threw a fried egg on top of it and smothered it with onions and french fries and everything. By the time I got done eating that, I was stuffed. So when the waitress came by and said, would you like a dessert menu? I'm like, of course. Uh, uh, well, let me just take a look at it. I mean, I think I'm too full, but let me take a look at it. So I looked at the dessert menu, and they had on this menu something called fried Twinkies. Now, you all know what Twinkies are. Well, they fry them. I've never seen that before. I've never seen it since. So I had to order them. And uh, so they came out with two Twinkies fried with a scoop of ice cream on top of it. I say all this to say, by the time I got done, I felt horrible. I mean, I'm not talking about, listen, I've left restaurants. I almost always leave restaurants feeling uncomfortably full. Okay. I'm no lightweight when it comes to eating. I mean, I have a cast iron stomach. I left feeling terrible. I mean, not, not sick to my stomach, just terrible. I felt like all this unhealth was going through me. You know, I don't know if it's the fried Twinkies had something to do with that, but uh, I just felt, you know, when it came time to eat, I was not hungry later on. And that's very unusual. You can ask my wife. And uh, so when I finally did eat, all I wanted to eat was something really, really light and really, really healthy. And, and again, that's unusual for me. Um, salad and some fruit. That's all I wanted. Well, I share that because um, in an odd way, my heart felt a similar thing this week. Uh, and why I chose Psalm 36 is I was, as I was just praying about, where do we go in the Psalms this Sunday? Um, I don't know about you, but my heart's been heavy uh, this week, watching what's going on in Afghanistan. Um, and again, I read news and I watch news and I, and I usually, um, it, it, it doesn't affect my heart, but this, this has bothered me deeply. Just, just, uh, putting myself in the place of those who are there and, and just recognizing precious men, women, children are, are there stuck in such a horrible situation. I think of the Americans who, who are having a hard time getting out. I, I just read this morning, uh, this mom is hiding out. An American mom is hiding out in a home. She's afraid to even leave the, the, the house 
Uh, she has seen people shot down in the streets, and she's afraid that any minute someone's going to knock on her door and execute her. And she's, she's afraid she'll never see her children again. Um, things like that, the scenes, scenes like that. And in thinking of the Afghan people who have just watched their freedoms and their future dissolve before their eyes and to know that, uh, that their hopes of, uh, of any level of freedoms are, are just being squashed. And in fact, the probabilities of, of horrible atrocities, um, uh, women who will no longer have the freedom to get educated, who will be forced to wear burqas, who some of them will be forced to marry Taliban soldiers. I just, I look at that and I think of that. I think of um, uh, the mom who was seen uh, handing her baby over a fence to an American soldier, just say, what, what, what do you get to as a mom where you will hand your baby over to a stranger so that maybe that child will have a future? What point do you get to that? And my heart's been heavy. It's been sad. It's been, I mean, this is just a horrible, horrible thing. And, um, you know, obviously I think we've mishandled this thing, but I also wonder how do, how do men like the Taliban become so evil and so callous uh, and so devoid of compassion? How do you get to that place? What kind of blackened spider webbery heart must you have to do so many evil things and think that it's good in some way. And as I contemplated that, in, in, in all the sorrow and just thinking of what, here's what, my heart just craved healthy. It just hate, craved good. My heart just craved to think about God. I don't mean that in an escapist way. Like, let's just not think about that. I mean, I, we need health. We need good. We need God. And so I want us to focus our hearts on God. I want to think less about evil people. But this is, this is kind of where my heart was like, I don't even want to think about us that much. I don't even want to be like, you do this and you do that. And I don't mean that to insult you. But I just want to kind of move us away from the human center and focus us on God because that's what our hearts need. And that's what Afghan needs, Afghanistan needs. And that's what people that are in desperate situations. That's what those who are struggling, I didn't even know this until yesterday about the flooding going on in, in uh, some of the areas in Woodhull and Jasper and Addison. And just, uh, again, just, there's so much, and, and this is not meant to be escapism. I don't believe in escapism. Um, but if we're going to pray with confidence, as we've been looking at the last couple of weeks with God, we need to know who God is. If we're going to pray for people in Afghanistan or people in Addison, we need to know who, how great our God is, that he's bigger than the circumstances that seem so bleak and so dismal. Psalm 36 tells us who God is. The psalmist, David, tells us who God is. But before we get there, we've got to look a little bit at who man is, because David wants to contrast the heart of man with the heart of God. So we have to begin by taking a few minutes to consider the heart of man before we look at the greatness of our God. Let's read Psalm 36, verses 1 through 4. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit, 
He has ceased to act wisely and to do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. And Father, we pray that you will speak to our hearts. And mostly, Lord, we pray that your spirit will illuminate and bring revelation to our hearts of how great and good and how good our great God is. To the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So when we read this, we come right across in some translations, we hear the word wicked, and our hearts can think, okay, this is talking about terrible, terrible people like Taliban soldiers, wicked. And it certainly does include such people. But the word translated wicked actually means ungodly. It actually refers to all unbelievers, all those who are trying to live their life apart from God, trying to do life without God. And that might seem harsh. That might seem um, uh, unfair. It might seem wrong to call someone wicked or ungodly just because they don't believe in God. We see goodness in people who do not believe in Jesus Christ, right? We see kindness in people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. We see nobility and heroism in people who do not confess Jesus Christ as their Lord. Conversely, sometimes we see unkindness and meanness and, and lack of integrity in people who do confess Jesus Christ as their Lord. And that's for another sermon. But it seems wrong to call someone wicked, ungodly, simply because they have detached their lives from God when we see these qualities in them. And I totally get that. And from a human viewpoint, I would not say that. But from God's viewpoint, he looks at things a little differently. He looks at things as they really, truly are. God created mankind in his image, which means he invested in us attributes of who he is. We reflect God. So the kindness, the nobility, the love that people have is real. And it reflects the echo of who God is and how he created us. The problem is, if you cut the human heart off from God, who is the source of love and compassion and goodness and kindness and, and integrity, if you cut your heart off from that source, it's like cutting a flower. You still have the beauty, but it's going to wither and die soon because it has no life in itself. It's just the echo of what remains and it will eventually dry up and die away. Think of it this way. If God is like the sun, people, mankind, are like solar panels. And if we say, as solar panels, I am going to accomplish good things. I'm going to give power and light and warmth and accomplish all the good things I am meant to accomplish. I do not need the sun to do that. 
Well, a solar panel might have some energy stored in its banks, but it, it's, it's going to run out. And it's not going to be able to do any of those things because its power comes from the sun. The sun generates and the solar panel absorbs and then distributes. And that's how God created us. He created us to reflect his love, his goodness, but he is the source of love. There is not one drop of love apart from God. He is the sun, the source of all that is good. So when we cut ourselves off from him, there might still be the vestiges because God created us in his image, but it's going to wilt and die. And we, like solar panels, will find we have no ability to manufacture it, only to receive it. Verse 1, David says that sin or transgression speaks deeply to the human heart. And it causes us to not fear God and to flatter ourselves. That word flatter means to smooth over, uh, to smooth out. We smooth out what we do so that it doesn't seem that bad. We have a tendency to give ourselves home field advantage when it comes to the sins we commit or omit in our lives. We give ourselves a pass for things that we judge others harshly for. We flatten it out. We smooth it out. Other people do this. We judge them. We do it. We fudge. We excuse. We all do that, guys. Whether we know it or not, we all do that. We flatten or smooth it out for ourselves, the very things that we condemn in others. And over time, sin speaks deeply and louder to our hearts and God's voice and God, the God-like qualities in us begin to get quieter and quieter. If I may say this, the Taliban's heart is just further down the road than sweet Aunt Millie's heart is, but they're going in the same direction. All our hearts are going in the same direction. Sin is taking us in one direction, away from God, away from the fear of God, smoothing out our sin so it doesn't seem that bad. Now, we're not all equally sinful. Don't get me wrong. Judgment Day is going to be a day where different judges, sins are going to be judged differently, but we're all in the same boat. <clears throat> we're all sinful. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. <clears throat> now, David contrasts all this stuff going on in the human heart with the wonderful, great goodness of God. And he begins in verse 5. <clears throat> Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. Let's focus on the Lord a little. In Psalm 90, Moses, he uh, focuses on the attribute of God's timelessness. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. David focuses us on the character of God, his goodness in four aspects. Love, God's love, God's faithfulness, God's righteousness, and God's judgments. And he uses earthly uh, measurements to give us a handle on these things to understand how vast and how good 
God is. Let's look at those four points. The first point is this. God loves with a loyal love. Verse 5, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. The Hebrew word for love, has said, carries the sense of a faithful or a loyal love. That's why the ESV throws that word in steadfast. It is a love that's not fickle. It's not fragile. It doesn't go up and down from day to day. It doesn't cut people loose the minute they step out of line. It is a love that is loyal. And that's, that's our hearts crave that. We want to know that God's love is loyal. It doesn't change from day to day. He doesn't abandon us or give up on us because we mess up or we don't measure up in some way. Relationships in this world are very commonly transactional. Whether we know it or not, we, most of us, if not all of us, in most of our relationships have a degree of transactional aspects to it. What, that, what I mean is, when we fear losing a friendship, when we fear a relationship breaking because we say the wrong thing or we do the wrong thing, because we mess up in some way or we don't measure up in some way, that's transactional. Or if we cut people out of our lives, if they let us down in some way, they mess up some way, they don't measure up some way, we break relationships. Because of this, because of that, because of the next thing. That's transactional. What I mean by that is I give you the right things, you give me love. You give me the right things, I give you love. It's transactional. God's love is, has said it's not transactional. It's loyal. It's loyal. We look at the disciples and, uh, you know, Ken read about Peter's wonderful proclamation, you are the son of God, you know, the Messiah. But just a short while later, uh, Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. But aren't you glad he didn't say, that's it, Peter. I'm done with you. Get out of here. Bang, you're done. Aren't you so glad the disciples messed up again and again? And Jesus would rebuke them. He never cut them loose. Jesus never cuts loose his children. He's loyal in his love. And that love reaches to the heavens. That's David's way of saying his love is limitless. It's extensive. It's, it's everywhere. It's inexhaustible. It reaches to the heavens. All of God's qualities flow from his love. God is a, is a unity. He is not like parts. All of that God's love, all that God is flows from his love. Everything God is, everything God does is motivated by perfect and pure love. Everything. I've said it before, but let me say it again. His anger, his wrath, as fierce as it is, is absolutely motivated by love. It's not a separate thing. Sometimes with me, when I get angry, it's separate from love. It never is with God. Everything God is flows from love. Everything God does is perfect love. That's why John could write, God is love. Love isn't God, but God is love. And God is loyal love. And I'm so grateful for that. 
Secondly, God is faithful to keep his promises. Continuing on in verse 5, your faithfulness to the clouds. So love to the heavens, faithfulness to the clouds. God always keeps his promises. He is faithful. He is faithful. In God's word, we find promises. Promises that are massive. Promises that are huge. Promises from God that are glorious. Promises like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Promises like, behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Promises like, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Promises like Romans 8, that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Every, everything it's not good, but God is working it for good for those who know the Lord. And there are many other promises. A promise is only as good as the character of the one who gives it. We see broken promises all around us in this world. But God never, ever breaks his promises. I mean, if you think about that for a moment, an eternity in both directions, of God giving massive, glorious promises. And he has never and he can never break a promise. You know what this, this you want to know where to live your life, the strongest, most secure land in the world? It's the rock of God's promises. You know the most secure place in the world is standing on the promises of God. There's an old hymn. Because everything else is going down. But his promises never will. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Third, God's righteousness is as solid as a mountain. Verse 6, your righteousness is like the mountains of God. God is righteous. God is righteous. He he not only does what is right, right and wrong are literally defined by who God is. He is the absolute standard and definition of righteousness. That's why those um, atheists or who, those who deny the existence of God have a really hard time if you bore in uh, trying to explain um, why something can be right or wrong. If you take away the absolute measurement, you're left with this question, who decides what is right and what is wrong? Who? Don't tell me uh, it's just we all know it. No, we don't. If you were in Afghanistan right now, there would be people who see a very different measurement of right and wrong. Who's the decider if there is not an absolute right and a righteous one? Then I say you can make a case that everything can be okay to do if it's right to you. But that's, the Bible tells us that we know in our hearts that's not true. Because we know in our hearts there is a God and we will stand before him and he will judge accordingly. And he is righteous like the mountains of God. Mountains are a symbol of strength and majesty. And I'm so glad this verse doesn't say your power is like the mountains of God. God is powerful. He is all powerful. 
But I'm so glad this doesn't say your power is like the mountains because infinite power without righteousness would be a horrifying thing. If God were not good, if God were not good, the worst curse that could ever happen to a person is to be born. Because you'd be born into a universe where there was no goodness. There was no hope. There was no future. There was only evil. How horrible. Power, but not righteousness, is a horrible, horrible thing. Thank God that his righteousness, along with his faithfulness, motivated by his love, rise up like a mountain. God is righteous. But having said that, we have a problem. Because God's righteousness is a problem for us. Because we are not righteous. The Bible says there's none that are righteous. No, not one. All of our hearts, wherever we're at in the flower process, we're all wilting. Our hearts are not righteous in the way that God's heart is. Sin's venom flows in all of our hearts. From the worst Taliban soldier to sweet Aunt Millie. Um, I don't know if any of you have an Aunt Millie. I'm picking on Aunt Millie. I don't have an Aunt Millie. But it flows in all of our hearts. And God in his righteousness must punish unrighteousness. And that punishment is eternal separation from God, who is the source of all good, love, compassion. Thank God that's not the end of the Bible. Because on the cross, on the cross, Jesus, as he hung on that cross, he bore our unrighteousness on his own shoulders so that he could give us his righteousness, so that he could clothe us with his righteousness. When we stand before God, those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted in him, we are going to be rothed with a righteousness that is like the mountains of God because it will be the righteousness of God, no less, the righteousness of Christ. So why do we not have to fear judgment day? Not because God grades on a curve, but because we will be righteous with the righteousness of God. And then the wonderful thing is having given us his righteousness at the moment of trusting in Christ, the Holy Spirit then begins to reconnect us with the living God so that he begins to work in our hearts and we begin to have, like, it's like the flower getting reattached. We are the vine. Uh, we are the branches. He is the vine. We are attached to him. And we begin to also experience his righteousness working in us through the Holy Spirit. How good is that? Fourthly, God's judgments are as deep as the ocean. Verse 6, your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. It's interesting that God's righteousness, his love, and his faithfulness extend upward. The heavens, the clouds, the mountains rising up. But when he comes to the judgments of God, he says they run deep. They run deep. I think of deep waters. The oceans are deep. In fact, not only in physical depth are the oceans deep, but in their hiddenness, they are deep. The most unexplored places on earth are in the ocean depths. 
God's judgments are right and true, but the Bible also tells us his judgments are beyond our tracing out. They are deep. Sometimes his judgments, his wisdom, his purposes are hidden from us. We ask the question, why? Why does God allow this to happen? Why does God allow that to happen? We've all asked it. I think we can make a case looking at what's going on in Afghanistan. So why did God allow this to happen? Why doesn't God stop this? Why doesn't he take this out, do that differently? I read through the news and I think of, I find a dozen, two dozens, a hundred different things that I would do differently. I would change that story. I would change that headline. I would rewrite that. Why doesn't God? Next week, I think we're going to look at Psalm 73, where Asaph begins to ask the question, why? Why do evil people flourish? And those who don't believe in God often point to that question and say, if God is good, why does that happen? Why does this happen? I don't believe in God because these things don't make sense. Why would God allow that to happen? I don't believe there is a God. The beautiful thing about the Bible is it gives us a framework, a robust framework for understanding to a degree why God allows evil and suffering in this world. But it isn't comprehensive. Far from ignoring evil and suffering, the centerpiece of God's greatest work in all of history is also the epicenter of the greatest evil and suffering and injustice ever committed in history, the cross, where evil lawless men crucified the only righteous innocent man who ever walked the earth, and God himself. And that moment is both the most evil moment ever committed in history and the most glorious moment ever committed in history, for it is the moment that saves our souls. So the scriptures give us a wonderful framework for interpreting suffering and evil without it blowing us out of the water. But it is not comprehensive, and God has not shared everything or explained everything. We're never going to be able to trace out all the whys. The deeper judgments of God go far beyond our ability to figure out and trace out. It would be like an ant trying to understand all that a nuclear physicist understands. It's not going to happen. God's judgments are deep beyond tracing them out, but we can know and trust that God's loyal love, his faithfulness, and his righteousness reach to the sky so when his judgments run deep and we don't understand what God is doing or why he's doing it, we can trust his goodness, his love, and his wisdom. As the saying goes, when we can't see his hand, we can trust his heart. And it's interesting that David says the deepest currents of God's judgment flow in the direction of salvation. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. We don't always understand, but we know this. God, his judgment flows towards mercy and rescue and salvation.
And so we pray for those in need. We pray for those in, in, who are suffering. We pray for them. And we trust God with them. Let's finish up this psalm, and we're going to do this very, very quickly. Verse 7, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. God is so good. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Jesus was said, was called the light of the world, and in his light was the life of men. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. End of Psalm. There's a lot we could say about these closing verses, but I'm just going to bring this in for a landing by saying this. Summing it up is this. David is saying, in short, God, you are so good. Fountains of life, delight, light, all come from you. And David's cry in these last verses, having extolled who God is, having examined who man is, he is saying, let me be attached to you. Let me draw my life from you. Let me receive from your hand all that is you. Do not let me become like those who have detached their life from you. Don't let me become like them. God is who our hearts crave. God is what our hearts need. Let's go to him in prayer. And as we do, maybe there's a different burden that's on your heart. Maybe it's a personal burden. Maybe it's a burden for someone you love. Knowing the greatness and goodness of God does not silence our prayers. It actually fuels them. So I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you to confidence, enter confidently and cry out to God, asking him for whatever it is that's on your heart. Let's go to God. Heavenly Father, when we look at the world around us, our hearts can grow weak. Our hearts can grow faint and discouraged, even depressed. Lord, there's so much heaviness, sadness. There's so much evil. There's so much brokenness, so much suffering beyond what we even know. You see it all. We, don't, we see but very, very small fractions. And yet, Lord, it weighs on our hearts. And God, we need, we crave to lift our eyes up higher and to see our God. We need you, Lord. Like those who cry out in Revelation, how long, O oh Lord, how long? But we fully trust that you are good, you are loving, and you will set things right. In the meantime, Lord, let us be active in loving people, sharing Jesus, praying for those in need, and doing what we can. 
And Lord, help us to live in the goodness of who you are. I pray for anyone here or watching who have a phony or false image of who you are. And I pray that you will set that right through your word to see how good and great you are. And Lord, I pray for anyone who has the phony image, the false security of thinking that that you are good, but that it doesn't matter what they do with Jesus because you're going to forgive anyway. I pray that you will help them to realize that apart from Christ, there is no way to you. If there were any other way to you, Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. So I pray that, Lord, you will anchor all our hope, all our faith, all our confidence, and all our understanding of how great you are to Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. For he alone is our Savior. And I pray you lift our hearts and lift our prayers. And we close this morning by praying for those right now who are in Afghanistan. We pray for some miracles to happen there, God. We pray that you will help get uh, Americans out safely. We pray for this woman who's hiding for her life. We pray you get her out safely. And the many other stories that we don't know the names or anything about them, but they're there. We pray for, for all of those for safe passage. We pray for those who have who have um, been allies to the United States and who now fear for their lives and their families' lives, that you will also get them out and protect them. We pray, Father, you might do a miracle in Afghanistan, that there might be a rising up um, against the oppression that's going on, and that you might, you might bring a change for the good. And in all this, Lord, because uh, we don't really know how to pray fully, we do ask you, Lord, to turn many eyes and many hearts to Jesus Christ in the midst of this time. Lord, we pray for those who have suffered loss and property damage with the flooding that's going on. And we pray again, this is closer to home, that um, help will be given and that, uh, Lord, we might find ways we can help as well. Uh, Lord, so many things we could pray, but we lift them up to you in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. I want to close by just saying um, I just was given some information that Hope Higher Hope Church is has a box that they're having open all week long for people to donate uh, things to help those who are flood victims. So if you go on our um, our Facebook, uh, the, the Grace Community Church Facebook page, uh, there's information there what they can use. And it's, it's going to be given to the towns, particularly the town of Woodhull, to help them. So I just encourage uh, all of you to consider looking at that and let's do something we can to try to help people who have suffered loss. Um, just a practical way of showing love to them. So God bless you guys. Have a, a great week and Lord, keep praying, keep looking up.